Listener Production. Hello, happy Friday. Sasha Barbagat with you for today's episode of The Briefing. One of the hardest things about having a pet is coming to the hard realisation that they'll only be around for a very short time. On average, dogs live between 10 to 13 years. It's even less for big or giant breeds like the Great Dane. But what if we could change that? We are going to get more time with dogs in good health, good quality of life and good function. And that's really our goal. In the second half of today's episode, we learn all about a new drug currently being trialled in the US that could see our pups live longer. Before that, though, Katrina Blowers is here with the headlines. It is Friday, February 9. Hey, Sasha. Hi, everyone. Well, more on this story we were telling you about over the last few days, and now Labor is going to have to rework its right to disconnect legislation, even after it passed through Parliament yesterday. And this is because of fears of penalties for employers. The Greens reportedly snuck in a criminal penalty of up to 12 months jail for bosses who continue to expect their staff to respond to any communication outside of work hours. The government government introduced an 11th hour amendment to the closing loopholes bill that would have removed the criminal charge, but the coalition blocked it despite speaking out about the inclusion of it. Because it was rushed through the Senate, Labor now have to clean up the mess they've created. What a joke. That Shadow Industrial Relations Minister Michaelia Cash talking on Sky News there. That's a bit of a mess, isn't it, Sasha? Or do you think it's just a little bit of troublemaking? Mm, Well, you know, it does feel like troublemaking when the coalition called out this inclusion. Labor went, okay, here's here's how we fix it. And then they went, "Mm, no, the time's passed. But it's important to note that there is time left to get this amendment through. So the rules aren't due to come into force for another six months. So the Industrial Relations Minister, Tony Burke, says that they will be able to get the penalty removed in time for its rollout. And of course, we're hearing more from bosses, so companies who are saying that this is going to make things really complex and difficult for them. We've heard about increasing costs for things like Uber Eats and, you know, using an Uber in general because they're saying, well, these changes with the gig economy, we're going to have to pass that cost on to consumers. I mean, to me, though, this is what change looks like. Uh, It's a teething period. There's going to be some learnings. But overall, if we are ensuring that all of our workers have good rights, then I can deal with some problems in the meantime. Global warming has exceeded one and a half degrees Celsius for the entire year for the very first time. This alarming declaration comes from the EU's climate service and puts the warming increase at 1.52 degrees Celsius from February last year to January this year after an El Nino has brought floods, fires and heat waves all over the world. This first year-long breach doesn't break the landmark Paris Agreement, Katrina, it's worth noting, but it does bring the world closer to doing so in the long term. And this January was the hottest on record at 1.7 degrees Celsius above the pre-industrial average for the month. 
So this means there has been a 12-month period in which the average global surface temperature was more than one and a half degrees above the 1850 to 1900 average, and that's the period taken as the pre-industrial reference point. And there is a little bit of um, argy-bargy among some scientists around, you know, whether the way the temperature was measured during that pre-industrial period was accurate. So some people are saying, oh, you know, this is real cause for alarm. Other scientists are saying, look, we still do have time. There's also a little bit of conjecture around, you know, why this has happened over the past year. You mentioned the El Nino, Sasha, but there's also some other factors like there was a Tonga volcano eruption in 2022. Other people are saying that uh, there's an analysis that came out this week that involved sea sponges. That means that the one and a half degree Celsius limit has already been breached. But look, I think what we can all agree on is this is tracking in the wrong direction and uh, we do need to take stronger action. I feel like we've been saying that for decades now, Katrina. But uh, just on the topic of climate change, we do have a couple of episodes coming out next week looking into the issue, some really important discussions, and one is off the back of a great listener pitch, so be sure to keep an eye out for those. From some alarming news to some good news now in relation to a story we brought you a few days ago, the federal government last night announced the 16,000 sheep and cattle that have been stranded on a ship off the coast of Western Australia will be taken off the vessel. The Department of Agriculture, Fisheries and Forestry said in a statement the exporter was working to offload all livestock from the MV Bahija and any offloading of livestock will be undertaken under strict biosecurity protocols and with regard to animal welfare. So that's great news. Uh, the ship left Australia for the Middle East back in early January, but was told to return home because of the escalating conflict in the Red Sea. The livestock were then in limbo because they weren't allowed back into the herd here in Australia for biosecurity reasons. A very long cruise and probably not a very enjoyable one for them, Sasha. No, unfortunately not. And we are still unsure of what will actually happen to the animals once they disembark, with last night's statement from the government saying uh, the department's going to continue supporting the exporter as they consider options for the livestock once they have been unloaded. One thing we do know is they won't be exported as the government has ruled out any chance of them being sent back away due to animal welfare and other concerns. And Olympians who take home a medal at this year's Paris Games will also be taking home a piece of the city's most famous monument. The gold, silver and bronze medals were unveiled in Paris overnight and they contain a small hexagon-shaped token made out of scrap metal from the Eiffel Tower. I can't believe they just had (laughs) scrap metal of the tower lying around. Uh, So these pieces of metal were taken from the tower during past refurbishments and then stored in a secret location. And yeah, apart from sounding quite fabulous and like a delicious dessert that you might order in a restaurant, uh, the hexagon is significant because many French people refer to the country uh, as l'hexagon because of its shape. Now, if you're wondering what's on the back of this medal, it's the Greek goddess of victory, Nike, with the Acropolis on one side and the Eiffel Tower on the other side. The games begin on Friday, July 26. 
Mm, I can't believe we're in another Olympics year. It just feels like they roll around quicker and quicker. Um, but yeah, I love this. I love that there was someone who was thinking, okay, we've got all this scrap metal from the tower. Let's not throw it out. Let's store it in a secret location. Surely we'll have a use for it one day. And turns out they did. I think that's amazing forward thinking by the French. And look, before we get into today's deep dive, uh, we did want to shout out some of the great messages and comments we've received over the last week from you, our listeners. Uh, Molly, got in touch to express her thoughts about live export following Tuesday's deep dive on the issue. She said her concern with banning the practice is that it'd lead to the poor treatment of animals elsewhere and we should acknowledge Australia's high animal welfare standards, which was a interesting point to make and I, I'd hesitate to agree. Uh, we also had Renee reach out to thank our host Bencion for his thoughtful coverage of police at Pride events following the protest at Midsummer. Uh, we also put up a poll in our broadcast channel behind the briefing asking you guys whether police should be allowed to march at Pride events and a massive 85% of you said yes they should. Um, thank you so much to everyone who's also reached out with ideas for upcoming episodes. You know we all put our brains together, but we love, love, love getting ideas from you guys and we're working hard to get those to you soon. Yes. And if you'd like to share your thoughts, be sure to reach out on Instagram. That's the best place. You can search the briefing, give us a follow, send us a DM, and don't forget to join our broadcast channel, which gives you exclusive access to the briefing team. All right. Thanks, Katrina. Have a lovely weekend. Let's get into the very important topic of helping our dogs live longer. Did you catch this moment at the Emmys recently? Everything I do is for my three dogs, so um, (laughs) the uh, Federal Drug Administration, if you could please fast track that uh, canine anti-aging pill, that would be so lovely. Uh, Thank you so much. That was Lee Sung Jin, the director and writer of the wildly successful Beef, saying what all dog lovers are thinking. He's referring to a first-of-its-kind treatment that could help man's best friend live longer and happier lives. Amazing, right? The company behind it, Loyal, is currently working on getting FDA approval in the US for Loy-001, specifically designed to increase the life expectancy of large breeds. When the news broke, there was a lot of excitement. But also the question, what about the small pups? Well, Loyal has just announced it has kicked off a study to trial a drug called Loy-002 that would look to achieve the same results, but in smaller breeds. So how far off are we from seeing this dream come to life? And what are the ethical issues associated with medicine like this for our pets? To talk about it, I'm joined now by Loyal's Director of Veterinary Medicine, Brennan McKenzie. Brennan, thanks so much for being here. First off, what was the inspiration behind this trial and just how revolutionary is it? I think there's a long-standing misconception that aging is just an inevitable fact of the universe. Uh, we can't understand it. We can't do anything about it. We just have to learn to live with it. And the reality is that there are decades of research showing that aging is just biology. It's just something that happens that we can't understand. There's lots and lots of information available in dogs and in other species about how aging works. And once we understand it, we can do something about it. We can potentially give our dogs and maybe someday ourselves longer and healthier lives. So the inspiration was simply to take that basic science understanding and turn it into useful medical treatments. Talk us through these medical treatments in as basic terms as you can muster for us laymen who maybe don't understand scientific processes, but what is the treatment and how would it work? 
So there are two programs that we're working on. The first looks at the fact that large dogs don't get to live as long as small dogs. And I think we all know that. And that's not natural. In mammals in general, bigger animals live longer. We live longer than our dogs. Elephants live longer than mice. But in dogs, because of years and years of intensive breeding for body size, we've created an unnatural situation where the larger you are, the faster you age and the shorter a lifespan you have. And so one of our programs is about looking at some of the hormonal factors that are, are causing that and seeing if maybe we can't bring that lifespan back into balance and make large dogs have a bit more like the lifespan of smaller dogs. The other program looks at dogs of all sizes and the fact that as we age, all sorts of aspects of our metabolism deteriorate and don't work as well. And that contributes to our being more susceptible to diseases or, or health problems that we wouldn't get when we were young. And we think that that too is simply a, a kind of, of biological process that we can understand and that we can potentially intervene in uh, to give people and dogs longer, healthier lives. I heard you mention that with big dogs, part of the problem with their lifespan is aggressive breeding tactics. I suppose you guys are responding to a problem, but does it raise the question of, well, why are we allowing humans to do this to breeds and allow this aggressive breeding so that they can be how we want them to be as opposed to how they're naturally supposed to be? There is very little about our dogs that is natural in, in terms of their bodies, their behavior. And the question is, you know, what is best for their welfare? And over the last couple of hundred years, we have definitely created dogs that match our functional needs, our aesthetic needs. And sometimes that has negative health consequences for them. And as a veterinarian, I see that every day and I'm very aware of that. I think there's absolutely a place for looking at how we select dogs for breeding and how we select dogs as companions in our homes and the impact that those things have on their welfare. Uh, the reality, though, is that you know even dogs in a medium-sized range that's pretty normal and pretty natural in the canine world, like your Labrador Retriever, do have a shorter lifespan than very small dogs because of the inevitable consequences of making them bigger. And I think that it's worthwhile to try to do something about that in and of itself for the dogs who we have now, as well as to talk about these other completely legitimate issues. It all sounds amazing. I'm a dog parent and lover. I actually have a tattoo of my first dog on my arm. So I was very interested when I saw this story come out. However, of course, you guys are based in the US. You're going through the process of trying to get US FDA approval. What is the timeline looking like? And when might we expect to see something like this, if it's proven safe, rolled out across the world? So studying aging obviously always takes time because that's something that happens over time. And so to do the definitive clinical studies, which we've already begun for one of our projects, we're looking at at least four-year studies with maybe a thousand dogs, some of the longest and largest clinical trials ever done in veterinary medicine. We are in the U.S. looking at something called conditional approval, which might make it possible for us to bring those drugs to market sooner than that four-year time frame if we provide the right kind of safety evidence and evidence that these things are effective. Unfortunately, every country has a very different regulatory structure, and we have to pick and choose so that we make sure that we meet all the guidelines and all the requirements. So we will be beginning with the FDA in the United States, and what we're hoping is that if we're able to achieve success here, then prove that these drugs are safe and effective and get approval, um, there is some degree of reciprocity, and that may at least lead us forward in making these things available worldwide. 
our best case scenario right now is that some of our products may be available sometime in as early as 2026 or 2027. Uh, but again, all of that requires the science to go the way we want it to go and, and for us to convince the regulators that we've done everything we need to do for due diligence. So that's our hope. Yeah. Tell me about this new study that was just announced in the last week about LOI002, I think is the one that you guys have announced this new trial for. Tell me how it'll work. So this is an oral daily tablet, and this is intended for dogs of any size except for the very smallest. And the goal is, again, to address some of that metabolic dysfunction that occurs as we age. All kinds of things go wrong in terms of how we generate energy, how we process nutrients, all the things, how we store fat, all the things that are necessary parts of our everyday physiology. And um, unfortunately, those deteriorations over time make us more vulnerable to diseases and ultimately, you know, to a shorter life. Lifespan. So the goal is to look at this medication, which helps to undo some of the negative effects of time on our metabolism and our physiology, and essentially slow the aging process so that the same kinds of things are likely to happen, but we are going to get more time with dogs in good health, good quality of life, and good function. And that's really our goal. We talk a lot about lifespan, and we'd all like more time with our dogs, but it only matters if that time is good quality time, right? And most of our dogs are ultimately going to leave us because we choose to let them go because their quality of life is not an an acceptable level. And that's really our target. If we're able to make dogs feel better and function happier uh, longer, then they will inevitably live longer. You brought up there one of the ethical issues, I suppose, that could come from discussion around trying to prolong our dog's lives. And You've explained it there, but when I threw this around with some of my colleagues saying, what do you think of this? Do you think there are any issues with it? And one was, well, it might be a long life, but is it a good life? And you're saying that the trials you're doing are trying to target that and make sure we're not just prolonging their lives so that they live longer. We want them to be happy and healthy too. Exactly. Medicine has largely taken a disease treatment approach and it's been very successful, but we are in a situation where sometimes we are able to delay death from disease without prolonging a good quality of life or good quality function. And that's not our goal. We talk about lifespan because it's a very easy, measurable outcome and the regulatory agencies want us to have something very discreet and and obvious and clear to show that our products are working. So lifespan is going to be the official target. But I think we all recognize that what matters is health and quality of life. And so we're thinking of aging in a preventative rather than a reactive way. Rather than treating diseases as they develop, we're trying to delay the onset of those diseases, and that's going to prolong a healthy lifespan. Okay. One of the other uh, issues that was brought up when I was having this discussion was the idea of kind of giving medication without a specific health concern. But I suppose you've just answered that by saying we're looking at using these treatments to delay or completely put off the onset of these health conditions. Is that right? Exactly. There are lots of things that we already know are helpful in preventing the age-associated diseases that we inevitably will suffer from. Uh, We know that maintaining a good body weight, good nutrition, good exercise, all of these things are important for maintaining health. And those are not magical interventions. Those are simply changes in our body and in our physiology. And what we are finding is that some of those changes can be supported with other kinds of tools like medications. So our goal is 
to address the underlying fundamental problem, which is the aging process and the deterioration that goes along with it, so that we can prolong health. And I think that uh, that doesn't exclude the use of other tools that we already know are, are beneficial. We're not going to encourage anyone to go out and overfeed their dogs now that they have this magic pill. That's definitely not the approach we're taking. We're simply adding another tool for, for veterinarians and for dog owners to have available to help maintain health. And what about the idea that this is a selfish pursuit by humans who just kind of want to spend more time with their dogs than what is quote unquote natural? Natural is a tricky word, right? It used to be natural for most of our children not to survive to adulthood, and we decided that was not okay, and we looked for ways to solve that problem. So I think it's perfectly appropriate for people who care about their dogs and love their dogs the way you and I do to look for ways to preserve their health and keep them with them longer. And as long as we're mindful of their quality of life and their well-being, um, I think that's a, a worthy goal. We've talked about the science and the ethics. What about the emotions? What does something like this treatment, if successful, what do you think it'll mean to dog owners and dog lovers? I think dogs are a member of our family. They have a tremendous emotional connection to us. And and I have uh, always tell the story of a dog I had named Gromit, who was a 75-pound sort of Akita lab something-something mix, you know, the usual mutts that we uh, veterinarians end up with. And he was remarkable in that he lived to 16, which is quite a, a long time for a dog that size. Ultimately, I had to let him go, not because of any particular disease, but because time had rendered him weak and dysfunctional and unable to just go about his daily life to do the things that he enjoyed. And that was heartbreaking for me. So I I understand both as a veterinarian and as a dog owner, that it's going to mean a lot to people to be able to, to put off that day and to give our dogs more good quality time with us. Couldn't agree more. As I said, I am a hugely massive dog lover. In fact, people think I'm annoying about it, so sorry about it. But I was really interested to talk to you and find out more about this trial, and we will be keeping an eye all the way from down under. Brennan McKenzie, thanks for your time. Thank you so much. That was Brennan McKenzie, Director of Veterinary Medicine at Loyal. And we would love to hear what you think of this story. Should dogs be given medication that'll help them live longer? If you want to have your say, send us a message on Instagram. Just search The Briefing and give us a follow. We would love to share your thoughts on an upcoming episode. Thanks for listening. Listener.